Alright, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Draft Punk Podcast. I'm your host, Desi, uh, along with our other host, uh, Ryan Sachs. How are you doing, Ryan? Doing well, doing well. How are you? Doing good. Today we are going to be bringing you guys uh, kind of a different type of episode than we're used to. Um, it's going to be more focused on the mechanics of uh, of uh, Ikoria, with Ikoria right around the corner, and um, basically giving you guys uh, a little insight on how we approach a new format. So, um, starting starting now, well, <laughs> I certainly cannot wait for Ikoria. How are you feeling about the new set in general, and, um, you know, <laughs> especially Miss the Times? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel I feel uh, intrigued by the new set. There's certainly a lot going on. The complexity is uh, through the roof, really. Sometimes, you know, I think we've um, we've talked about this before, but often, like over the summer, when we have a core set, that's going to yield a much more simple, limited environment than I think we can expect from a Coria. Um, limited and the interactions between cards since uh, sort of this fire philosophy philosophy that started with War of the Spark have gotten really complex, and I don't think Ikoria is going to be any exception, which I find exciting. I think that Ikoria seems to be the most confusing set that we've seen uh, probably in recent times, um, especially since I've come back from Magic. I think I came back uh, starting playing like... Um, I was playing like the Ixalan block, and this format, um, <clears throat> there is a lot of stuff going on. Um, yeah. There's a lot of mechanics that I <laughs> that I'm like, wait, hold on, how does this work? Or what is this card supposed to do? Or just the amount is this of modes, really how magic, right? Mm -hmm. Like the the different, so many cards do at minimum two things. Even if you're not trying so hard, they do two things, and then with a little extra finesse, they do three or four. Um, and we're not, I'm not talking about rares with all the text, right? Like commons and uncommons that play so many different roles. Sure. Um, I think that leads us to our first discussion topic today, and uh, that's going to be choices. So one of the interesting things about this format, as you were uh, mentioning, is that um, there's a lot of different ways to play cards. And uh, that leads to many different decisions. And uh, let's talk a little bit about how having a lot of decisions impacts the environment. Um, uh, obviously, we're talking about limited here. Um, do you think that that is a healthy thing for a limited format to, uh, to, to have cards with different modes and, um, to provide players with, uh, different ways to play cards, aka more decisions? Uh, I mean, I think the more decisions, the better. Uh, limited is one of those, um, I mean, limited is great. Uh, unlike constructed, <laughs> the, the cards that you play... Um, are often substantially worse, right? You the worst cards in your deck in Limited are quite bad. Um, and this, this means that sometimes one of the worst things that can happen in a format is uh, this, this sort of lack of decisions maybe where, you, where uh, games can get a little stale, stalemates happen, happen a lot, there's a lot of drawing and going where nobody's doing anything because everybody's running out of resources. Um, and I think one of the best ways to leverage against that kind of... Um, dearth of gameplay is uh adding extra decisions it's why uh cycling is in my opinion one of the best mechanics ever to exist for limited and i'm really happy it's, it's here modal cards charms 
I think uh, from Hour of Devastation, there's a really uh, great cycle um, where I think Supreme Will was a card from this cycle. If people uh, remember it, it's a three mana instant that's counter target spell unless the opponent pays three, or you can also have its mode be look at the top four cards of your library and put one into your hand. Oh, uh, interesting. That's the perfect card for limited, right? Where uh, it, it lets you hold up counter magic, but like if they don't have counter mag- it, it, they don't have something you want to do with it, you know, Anticipate is still a fine card. In fact, I think Anticipate is in the set. The closest we have to that card right now in this set is Neutralize, which is a cancel variant that cycles for two. Um, but that that goes to show the power of cycling. It really um, helps make decisions and I think makes a limited format much more rich. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about uh, this specific modal um, in cycling. And uh, tell me a little bit more about your experience, uh, maybe drawing from Amonkhet as well, since uh, since Amonkhet was one of the sets that I missed. So generally, whenever I play with cycling, that's going to be in a cube environment somewhere. Um, and I guess the specific question that I wanted to ask you is, is cycling a trap sometimes? Because obviously, you know, like when you have mana up and you want to uh, do something with that mana... Do you think that it is often wrong to cycle a card um, as opposed to just saving it and potentially casting it for uh, its face value? Well, I mean, so context is king here, right? Like if you have a greater sandworm, uh, seven mana, seven, seven with cycling. Uh, on okay. turn two, in the majority of hands, when you have nothing else to do, it's probably correct to cycle that because it's unlikely to be impactful for a long time unless you have like a bunch of ramp in your hand to use it. Mm. Um a card uh, like Neutralize is a bit more difficult, right? So if you're looking at your hand and you have this counter spell and you're debating whether or not to cycle it on turn two, uh, the, the question is more so, do you think that you're likely to be able to hold up the mana on turn three? If you sure. don't think you're likely, you should probably cycle it. But let's say you have whatever the equivalent of Vexingal is in this set, you probably shouldn't because then you have both of those options on turn three. This is why cycling is such a great mechanic for limited. Um, mm. Is I can't answer your question because there's not <laughs> there's no uh, you should cycle, shouldn't cycle heuristic. It's all card dependent and context dependent. Mm. The one thing that I will say, um, and they've done, I, I think Mark Rosewater uh, talked about this on one of his podcasts about uh, people casting cards to cast cards, right? They look at their hand, they go, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? Oh, I can do this. And then they do it. Um, And with cycling, you need to be a little bit more careful. I think that cycling just because uh, you can cycle a card is going to be wrong more often than it's right. Yeah, and then um, I think in late uh, late game situations as well, where it's like you draw a decent card say like a neutralize or say like um maybe a small to mid-range minion sorry creature mm-hmm. oh my gosh hearthstone <laughs> and uh and so in that situation i think it's going to be very important to just think about well how exactly are you going to win this game is this card going to be enough because i think that generally what people often say is they're like oh yeah well you know this card is going to be better than a land at least Therefore, I'm going to just play this card because it's better than the land. But um, I think in those situations, it's really going to make or break a, quite a lot of games deciding whether you want to cycle in that late game situation or just just play that card even if it's mediocre. Yeah, no, for, for sure. It, it, it becomes very difficult, right? Like at what point do you, do you go for something better? 
um, is is certainly difficult in the late game um, because you might end up cycling it, hit a land, and lose too. In fact, something I'm really upset about is that there are no cycling lands at common. <laughs> that that is like the so um, you weren't around for Amonkhet since that we we've talked about this. So you you haven't drafted Hour of Devastation, or you've drafted Hour of Devastation. I haven't drafted any of those. Yeah. Okay, so Hour of Devastation, something that people keep messing up with is that the cycling lands were all top commons in their colors. Okay. Right? So, uh, for example, I think for me, I had white was the best white common. I had the blue one was the best blue common. Black okay. one, I think, the second best black common. Red one was second best red common. Right? And the green one might have been, that was the second best green common. Something like that. Maybe they could have gone to third. Or green might have uh-huh. been third. Um, but but overall, the point is that these lands were super high picks. And the reason was I think the best deck I had in that format was a 19 or 20 land deck with nine <laughs> lands. Um, wow, okay. And it, was, it, it just meant that every single hand that I got, I got to choose whether or not I... The amount of lands that I had on the battlefield in a game was a choice, which I'm sure is your favorite. Yeah, right? that's like, nice. I could play 20 lands, but since half of them had cycling, I could like basically never flood and i got to choose where i stopped playing my lands uh and it was a phenomenal mechanic for limited because flood and screw is really uh at the heart of limited in a way that (laughs) often isn't in uh in other ways that you play magic you know it's just a part of the game that we have to accept cycling does help with that though yeah definitely and i guess cycling is kind of along this philosophy of being able to put the destiny of the game and the fate of the game in your own hands. And I actually, I think that before I met you, I had actually underrated uh, these, these kind of effects quite a lot. It was you that um, basically convinced me to, to never cut a copy of opt for my deck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it was still not a high pick, but the thing is that just jamming all the ops really just allows you to control uh, how many lands you draw, how many non lands you draw um, essentially good at every point in the game, apart from it costing that one uh, that one uh, mana. Right, and often it's like incorrect to just like cycling. It's often incorrect to cast opt on turn one. Um, yeah. The, uh, the there's actually I think there's still a lot of people that think opt isn't a great card in limited. Um, I think the person that if I'm remembering correctly that I might be wrong about this, but Zvi Moshwitz, who's in the Hall of Fame, I've talked to him a little bit, uh, and and he's a big a big fan of. Uh, opt-in limited if i'm remembering correctly he might have been the person who turned me on to it but yeah i, I okay. agree it's a great card it just feels so low impact but it's not about the impact in the game in the moment it's about the impact over all of the sets of games so tell me a little bit more about like i guess essentially tacking cycle onto some of these cards so if a card is say like kind of a weak card um i'll give one example um imposing a Vantasaur. Six mana, three six with vigilance, and has cycling one. So, if you put cycling onto like a bad, on a quote unquote bad card, does it automatically become just like a decent card? So, th- think about it this way. So, opt since we were just talking about it. Sure. Okay. Uh, is draw a card, scry one, instantly, right? Cycling one is draw a card at instant speed. And you lose scry one and you gain this. Sometimes it's this other card if that's what you want. It's like a reverse opt, yeah. Yeah. Um, most importantly, cycling for a colorless 
is playable in any deck. It's like a colorless opt. <laughs> so That's true. basically anything that is cycling for a colorless is much better than you think it is. Okay, so much, and much, much better than you think it is, and especially a cycling one, right? Um, yeah, yeah, cycling two colorless. Like if it's if it's two generic mana, uh-huh. it's not trivial to just throw that in there, right? So like Greater Sandworm is a good example of like it's spending two mana to draw a card can mm-hmm. really set you back on your tempo. Sure, right? You can really lose a lot. One mana is pretty easy to squeeze in there, uh, and. Because of that, all of the the difference between cycling for just one and cycling for two is enormous. Okay. Huh. Okay. Well, it seems like there's going to be a lot of decisions making this format, and mm-hmm. I guess like, and I guess like cycling it kind of adds to this sort of a multicolor trickery um, type decks that you can potentially build in limited. Like, was that something that we saw in Amonkhet and our de- mm-hmm. our devastation? Well, so- so a couple things. Amonkhet was actually so fast that cycling wasn't very good. Okay. Okay. Uh, Amonkhet, which is in my like top five favorite formats of all time, I know a lot of people hate it, but I love attacking. <laughs> so that uh, I love that format, and you just couldn't spend two mana to draw a card. Okay. So there, you, you just never have the time. Um, there were some people that had success in the format with these crazy multiple multicolor decks. Um, but very, very few people who did that like the cycling. Um, so can you repeat your question? Sorry. Yeah, so um, so in multicolor decks, since the cycling is actually a colorless mechanic, uh, does that provide, I guess, a sense of efficacy to these five-color decks, oh, like, oh, like these multicolor decks? Absolutely. So the card on the top left right now, um, Boon of the Wishgiver, is just, it's, it's not a magic card. That card is that card is unbelievable. Yeah, so uh six mana, draw four cards at sorcery speed. However, it does have cycling for one colorless. Right. So this is like if you replaced your scry one from your opt of if I draw this in the late game, I win. Yeah. I think this card's ridiculous as well. I think that uh it was a good idea to make it sorcery speed because I think at instant speed that would be that would have a lot of implications. You know that's a magic card? <laughs> What's four, that? Four blue blue instant speed draw four cards? Oh, uh, opportunity! Yeah, opportunity, and it was the best card, including rares and mythics or whatever, in its limited format. Uh, Whenever ago, um, I think the last time I played that was in M fourteen, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was my favorite yeah, this, card. Thank God, it's <laughs> thank God it's sorcery, but still, even then, like if you can't sorcery speed draw for, you can cycle it. I, I basically in there. There are going to be decks that I draft that like have two tapped blue lands that i can play and i'll consider jamming this in two taps. yeah <laughs> i think it's gonna be a very high pick for me as well uh, and that's also one of the cards i'm most excited about um so let's move on here speaking of i suppose uh different ways to play your cards and uh, different modes for cards one of the most important things that we're going to have to talk about, of course, is going to be the poster mechanic of the set, which is uh, Mutate. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is going to be a new mechanic. And essentially, uh, what Mutate is, is that you're going to pay an alternate cost to be able to attach the creature, merge it with the uh, with a certain non-human creature that you have. So before we actually look at the mutate cards and talk about those, let's talk about the 
the one and two drops at common and uncommon yeah, that we can actually mutate onto because I think that that's going to be an important thing to look at. Yeah, yeah. all right. So in this format, one of the weird things is that while doing my set review, I noticed that a lot of the early game drops are actually a little bit underwhelming. Um, they're like one mana cards that in other formats, I would simply just give like probably like a low D grade rating to. Mm -hmm. uh, they're, they're creatures that don't have like inherently a lot of value and they don't do like that much on their own, but... They have like a little bit of upside for most of them outside of like Aegis Turtle, which is like a one mana zero five <laughs> uh, and like Sabretooth Tiger, which is just, you know, two mana, three, one in white. Um, yep. These these are cards that or at least variants of cards that we've seen, uh, you know, throughout the sets and they have not been exciting cards. However, Mutate does require us to have uh, early game creatures. So uh, let's talk a little bit about these commons, and then we're going to move on to the uncommons as well, which, spoiler alert, there aren't that many uncommons to mutate onto either at uh, one or two mana. Yeah. Um, so I think the mechanic mutate is super cool. Uh, I, people who know me well know that I enjoy slamming auras on one drops. <laughs> um, mutate is basically that as a mechanic. Um it's going to be an interesting question. Just like cycling, uh, it it's a choice, right? You can always mutate or not, right? You can always choose to cast it normally. Yeah, or, however, is it the illusion of choice? Uh, one of our viewers, Andrew M. Gill on Twitter asks, on a scale between intentionally two for one in yourself or subtly granting haste to a ton of cards in the set, where do we rate mutate? So, essentially... Is mutate a trap? Is it a trap to potentially uh, try to play these creatures and uh, mutate onto them, as opposed to simply just like playing the cards out at face value? Well, so I mean, I think that's drastically dependent on rate and trigger. Um, so I think uh, Dreamtail Heron is yep. a uh, five mana three four flyer. Uh, its mutate cost is four, and whenever it mutates, you draw a card. Right. If you have a window to do that on turn four, you're you're doing it. Right. Um, it's you're not risking getting two for one if you find your window because the trigger is draw a card. So even if the the mutation, if the mutated you know creature gets killed, you aren't down on cards. Sure. Um, and so I think a lot of it's going to be about managing your resource economy. So the mutate triggers, at what point is that worth a card? Do you want to really be stacking everything into one basket to amass all of these triggers? Um, mm -hmm. If you are, how playable does that make the two mana blue instant counter target thing that targets a permanent you control draw a card? Sure. Right? Mm -hmm. um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of questions. And it's a really good point that, you know, in terms of a trap, right? You're you're opening yourself up to risk when you mutate. That's the same with any aura, right? Um, so you need to ask yourself some important questions. And the two most important questions I think you need to ask yourself when you do this is one: Is this uh, contributing to enough damage that you don't care if you lose resources, right? Like assuming, let's say, you get two attacks in, is this plus seven damage? Is that plus seven damage going to win you the game? And then the other question is, 
does the mutate trigger make or break the value of the card? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so uh, regarding these early game commons, and we will move on to look a little bit at the end commons, but uh, regarding the commons, which is going to be the bulk of what Limited is all about, uh, do any of these cards stand out to you as um, as fantastic, I guess, mutate targets, prime mutate yeah. targets? For sure. I mean, the, the number one is for, cer- uh, for sure Forbidden Friendship, that I have, uh, I have that one sort of earmarked as my... Um, unassuming common of the set where it's okay. going to go pretty late in the beginning it'll look like something filler maybe filler plus plus and i have it currently in my top 10 commons okay uh, so uh tell us a little bit about what for what forbidden friendship does and right. why you like it so forbidden friendship is uh r1 uh sorcery create a 1-1 red dinosaur creature token with haste and a 1-1 white human soldier creature token um okay. so I think that Forbidden Friendship will be the glue that holds holds together multiple archetypes. Um, and I'm really excited to see that, right? There's a go-wide deck in, um, in red-white or other sort of white decks. There's humans matters, non-humans matters for mutate. This, in fact, creates a <clears throat> non-human so that you can play that and a cheat mutate in the same turn. Um, which I think is exciting. Yeah, um, I like it, to call it the bestiality factor. <laughs> yeah, uh, and there's uh, there's also spell synergies, right? This works perfectly with Lore Dracus, which is um, an uncommon that is uh, a three mana Izet card that has mutate for two hybrid Izet, um, uh-huh. and that card, yeah, the, the, this really sort of shows it to me. And that card returns Forbidden Friendship back to your hand, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the the Regal Leosaur really shows that you know you want these mutate bodies to go wide but there's also a lot of humans in white and so i i just think it's gonna really play a lot of different roles Mm -hmm. uh, especially there being a little a dearth of of good twos it seems as far as the other ones i think that uh i'm not entirely sure how aggressive mutate strategies are going to be um if they are going to be aggressive i think that the the egg is really going to be fantastic because it's one of the Things that you can take early in a draft yeah. because it's low risk is colorless. Uh, it's a it's a one mana zero two that whenever you mutate onto it, it gets plus one plus one counter. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> uh, and that card, uh, because one of the things that I was thinking about with mutate is if you mutate on something multiple times, yes, you're building triggers, but you're not building power and toughness, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, it allows you to continue to build that power and toughness. I think there was um, there's also the green one that's a two mana two two when you mutate uh that creature gets a plus one plus one counter and gain two life yeah um Mm -hmm. and so those cards are going to change the way that mutate plays a little bit to be more aggressive um and if it skews that way i expect all of those cheap creatures to be better than they look because they help enable a mechanic especially the ones that have keyword abilities like trample vigilance first strike and so on yeah so in the beginning, I I had actually uh, rated um, a card like Deadweight, you know, uh, one mana, minus two, minus two to a creature enchantment. Uh, I rated that generally low because I was like, well, you know, if people are making these giant mutate creatures, maybe it's not going to be as effective in this format. However, a card like that, I guess, prevents these mutate creatures in the first place. So, so like, uh, catching your opponent off guard... Um, trying to get rid of these uh, good targets for the mutate before the mutate happens seems like it could be a very important thing in this format. Yeah. Um, and 
I think for me, that kind of leads to just creatures almost just being king. Just being able to play out play out derpy creatures um, in a critical mass of them so that your opponent can't really uh, prevent your mutate as effectively. Um, because a lot of these mutate cards are very powerful. So before we move on to the mutate cards, let's look at the cards that we can mutate onto at Uncommon. I think that uh, for the most part, um, the card that stands out to me the most is uh, in blue. Polywog Symbiote, 2 mana, 1, 3. Now, each creature you cast uh, costs 1 less to cast if it has Mutate. And um, that's either, you either hard cast it or Mutate, I believe. It's going to cost yeah. 1 colorless less to cast. And then whenever you cast a creature spell with Mutate, you get to loot. Oh, so yeah. that seems like a really, really powerful enabler. That's going to be one of those cards that you see in turn 2. And you're like, oh my goodness, who designed this card? Do they even play Limited? Yeah, it's, I mean, what's really funny is I kind of expect it to be most impactful in just casting the cards. Okay, yeah. Right? Like, um, then again, I mean, wow, you know what's a curve? If you play this on turn two and then that Heron, right? That three, four, on turn five, three. Mm -hmm. on turn three, right? You're not even down cards, right? You're, you're attacking with a three, four flyer on turn three and you drew a card and, and looted, right? Yeah. Um, Wow. So, so I, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so let's go ahead and look at the common mutate creatures. Every single color uh, has one a mutate creature at common. And um, just a general, like, just a, a sweeping generalization for me is that these cards are very, very core magic cards. And for me, they all, outside of the red one, I think, uh, like, like the red one is like a derpy 5-mana uh, 5-4 five five that... Um, that uh that mutates and you and you get to rummage but the other ones all seem like really uncommon power level to me um they're just extremely powerful and f even if your opponent removes the creature in response the creatures are so so well statted that you feel that you didn't really miss out on um the mutate but if you do land the mutate they kind of have like built in uh built-in um, risk mitigation uh, in terms of, like, actually getting a card back before anything happens to that creature. So, uh, you're, so you're talking about Dreamtell Heron here. Five mana, three, four, flyer. Whenever this creature mutates, draw a card. And the mutate cost is going to be one less than the casting cost. That's going to be at four mana. Yep. Yeah, so uh, these cards for me... Um, <clears throat> actually... These are probably two of the top commons in the set for me. Dreamtell Heron, which is a blue one, uh, in addition to Cavern Whisper, which is the black one. So they're both five mana. They both mutate at one mana less, and uh, they both have evasive abilities on them, in addition to that kind of card advantage uh, and mitigating getting two for one if they resolve. I mean, they're all pretty good. I don't think they all do mitigate that, right? Like, the the one that puts a plus one, plus one counter on itself wouldn't, right? Sure, sure, the white one. The rate mm -hmm. on that card is really great, right? Like, being able to play that, again, um, being able to play this on turn three means that you're attacking with a three, four flyer on turn three, which is quite strong. Yeah. Um, but again, the reason why 
you can do that with like uh you could you could have played like a cheap flyer and then put an oaken form on it and plenty form <laughs> with that aura as a card and that's usually not a recipe for success uh -huh, um sure. so we we do need to be careful especially because the removal in this format looks good right there is a lot of good interaction at common you mentioned deadweight i've thought similarly usually i'd have a card like deadweight as the best common in a format mm -hmm. uh, one mana interaction is yep. just so premium um and the nice thing about deadweight as opposed to something like shock is if you deadweight a three three it's basically gone right like it's not uh where, where shock doesn't really have that effect uh, yeah. however the stats are big enough that i think it's worse i still think it's a very good card yep um but usually i have the expensive black removal spell worse than the cheaper one although here the expensive black removal spell do you remember the name of it the instant speed one that puts a menace counter it's like a four mana right yeah, it's it's like, it's, uh, like it's splashable which is kind of crazy um, uh blood curdle yeah blood, this blood one curl, something like that that card's phenomenal i think uh yeah, four mana instant speed to short target creature, put a menace counter on a creature you control. I don't know why my brain keeps feeling like that. that's an exile effect. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of good interaction. You need to be careful with mutate because of that. Um, also because it sometimes gives your opponent a choice, right? I think when, when, you're, when a mutate effect is on the stack, the opponent can choose to let it resolve. You get the mutate trigger, and then they kill both things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or they kill the thing you're trying to mutate on, and you don't get the mutate trigger, but you do get the creature that you're casting. I think this format, looking at Dreamtell Heron and Cavern Whisperer, it makes me it makes me already dread the thought of going second in this format. Because um, I think that like a lot of games are just going to be won with these derpy commons just mutated on curve without the opponent having an answer i like i i can seriously see dream ha dream heron just like beating in there just like ending a game cavern whisper just ending a game because it's a four four with menace on turn four um yeah. i think a lot of people are gonna start taking <clears throat> the card capture sphere ahead of Dreamtail heron because limited heuristics go Ooh, removal spell take it uh, <laughs> five mana three four flyer cool filler and i think that's likely to be a mistake yep um Dude, these days, man, these days, the way the way that I like to play Magic is, honestly, I'm going down and down on removal. I like to just, like, have my stuff and hope they don't have it. <laughs> I don't know, like, what's happened to me. You know what? Yeah. They don't have it. They don't have it. Like, like removal yeah. is, uh, the, like, is such a small portion of the available cards. Yeah. You know, how many removal spells do you have in your good limited decks? Exactly. Four? Five? Right? Like, yeah. And and probabilistically, that means in a game you're going to draw two or three. Um, maybe you know what? Maybe your best limited decks get to the point where you have like the crazy red black removal dot deck where you have ten pieces of removal. Sure. But for yeah. the most part, your decks are creatures with removal spells and whatever other synergies that you're able to put together. Uh, and yeah, make them have it. Yeah, exactly. So now let's look at the commons that we can actually mutate onto. Uh, we're not going to spend too much time on this one. Oh. We already did that. Okay, yeah. so so let's move on to the um to the uncommon mutate card. So obviously, power level is a, a very important thing that we tend to respect in limited. Or, or sorry, uh, rarity is a thing that we tend to respect in limited, and that generally correlates with um power level. You know, like higher rarity, higher power level. 
So let's take a look at these uh, uncommon mutate cards that are available in this format. Um, at first glance, so every single color is going to have two uncommon mutate cards outside of red, which actually has zero. Um, and uh, from these cards, these all of all of the uncommon mutate cards seem like pretty busted cards to me. Um, these cards seem like a mythic uncommons almost. So, uh, I guess the first one that I want to mention, the, um, <laughs> you know, the one that everyone's been talking about, Pouncing Shore Shark. 5 mana, 4, 3. However, it has Mutate at 4 mana. It has Flash, and whenever this creature mutates, you may return target creature and opponent controls to its owner's hand. So, instant speed, Flash, Mutating, Pouncing, Sharks, with a well-statted ability, and uh, obviously that card uh, persists, and you can mutate onto it again to bounce something else uh, later. Um, how do you feel about these uh, uncommon mutate cards, and do any of these other ones stand out to you? I mean, so Pouncing Shark is disgusting. Like, it's it's actually, like, the. can you just imagine the scenarios where you mute, like, they're they're trying to, like, trade... They're attacking with the two three, or they're trying to trade their two twos, and you're like, "Cool, eat your guy, bounce your guy." Yeah, you probably just win the game at that point. It's just especially because there's um, you can do this as early as turn three, right? Because there's the um, not even, there, there's two uncommons actually that let you do this on turn three. Okay. There's the there's the one three that we just looked at. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then there's also the hybrid blue black card. That's a two-two with flash that makes everything. Oh, you're right, and uh, yeah, so it's so it's hybrid, uh, either blue or black mana. So you can play this in. Uh, oh wow, in a flash deck. All right, that's pretty nasty. Yeah. Right, and then it's just like the it's a four-three flash manoir. <laughs> it's just I, I don't know this this card doesn't seem particularly fair. It's probably one of the best uncommons. Um, at least at least you have to mutate to get that bounce. That's true, but like. In a situation where every single mutate card becomes a bounce spell, plus yeah. whatever other things, that's the, there's just a lot of potential, and that's even ignoring the fact that you can just flash it and meet an attacker. Um, yeah. As far as the other ones, uh, they, you know, I don't know them all immediately offhand. Um, mm -hmm. The ones that like are kind of crazy to me is auspicious uh, Sterix. Actually, the article that I just finished writing, I just uh -huh. submitted it to to Star City. Now it'll be up on Tuesday. Uh, that's in one of the packs, and I kept reading the card and then realizing, wait, this is just a five mana six six. Okay, right. Like the base stats is above what you expect for five mana. I expect a five five. Uh, sure, six six beats most things. Um, plus that that mutate ability. Um, like, yeah, you might hit lands, but the fact that it, it, it counts the amount of times that you've mutated, I actually really like that cycle. I think it's yeah, cool. so yeah, so this mutate ability, uh, it's it's actually so the card's a five mana six six mutate for one more than it costs for six mana, and then whenever this creature mutates, exile cards from the top of your library until you exile X permanent cards, where X is the time is uh, the number um, of times this creature has mutated, and then you. Don't put those permanents on, or you do not put those permanents into your hand. You put it onto the battlefield. So it goes straight into the battlefield. It doesn't matter if it's like a, you know, like the most expensive mythic rare bomb in the format or like the dirtily or, 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 or like the smallest, uh, you know, one mana card. It goes straight to the battlefield. Yep. 
Yeah, so um, so this is a card that stands out to you as uh, as as one of the best uncommons. Well, so I think the the reason why I wanted to point out that it's a five mana six six is that's the floor, right? You might originally read the card and be like, oh, but you're probably going to hit a land, right? Uh-huh, sure. But if you had a five mana six six that entered the battlefield and put a land into play, like that would be one of the best uncommons, right? Now, of course, that's not exactly what this does. Um, but that's the, the floor is, you know, just five mana vanilla six, six, which is high. And the ce- I mean, the ceiling is stupid because it uh-huh. just pops in whatever other five drop you have. Um, but I, I don't think it's necessarily like a bomb uncommon one. The one that I do want to point out here is I think that the, um, both the, uh, both the ones that have to do with life gain. So the majestic oracorn, which is the five mana four, four vigilance, whenever it mutates gain for life and it's mutate is four. And then uh, the four mana three three death touch that whenever it mutates it drains for however m- many times it's mutated and mm-hmm. it costs is three like bo- both of those cards have the potential to be completely unbeatable right um, okay like four life isn't a card when you're talking about I start with this four four vigilance which is already like a reasonable card and then if I am losing this race I have this vigilance in this source of life gain it, it could end up being very powerful. Yeah, and I think that these cards look a little bit um, underwhelming at first, just because you, you know, like life, life in especially in limited. If your life total isn't zero, then it doesn't really matter, right? So, but uh, you know, a lot of times, especially in this day and age, and especially in a format like this, where it seems like uh, you could have like um, creatures coming in, mutating, having like pseudo haste, uh, coming in and attacking for a lot more damage than you expect. This sort of incremental life gain is going to be, um, surprisingly good, I believe. So, uh, one of our viewers, Christian Bullock asks, do you think combat will be effective negatively in any way because of all the mutated creatures having haste? So what sort of dynamic does that add to a limited environment? And um, and is that going to be frustrating to play against, you think? So uh, I don't think so, right? Like in Because uh, remember, mutate is kind of like an aura with an enter the battlefield effect. Um, honestly, actually, that's probably the best way of thinking about it. Think about, you know, the, the two mana enchantment that gave plus one plus zero trample and draw, drew a card. Right? Okay. Mutate's kind of a lot closer to that. It gets a little bit bigger, um, but I don't think the haste is going to matter uh, as much, especially because you, when you mutate a second time, the probability you're increasing the bait stats keeps getting lower. Sure. So, mm-hmm. You know, it's like a one, one with haste, not like a five, five with haste. I think it, it's going to create some bad swings and feels maybe, but I don't expect uh, the pseudo haste that come along with auras to have like a drastic negative effect on the format. So what I'm kind of expecting for Mutate and how it's going to play out is that I think I'm I'm going to be very, very surprised if I'm mutating onto a creature more than, like, say, maybe two times. Because, again, you don't get that sort of base stat from it um, in terms of power and toughness. But you get all the triggers. Yeah, so you get all the triggers. So it's really going to depend on, like, what you're mutating on. But uh, I think that, if possible, it's going to be good to kind of spread them out as well. So you spread them out so that, assuming that you have these small creatures in your deck, then you can actually um, get these stat lines. Because depending on the effect, I think, like, what I'm guessing now is that the stat line is going to be something that's uh, more important most of the time than than the actual uh, extra mutate uh, trigger. Yeah. 
Well, let's let's look at one example. So this uh, chittering harvester, right? Six mana, four six. Whenever it mutates, each opponent sacrifices a creature and has mutate for five. Yeah, this card's pretty nasty. Right. <laughs> Here's a great example. If I mutate, if I have a mutate card, I'm mutating on that, right? And I'm going to keep stacking on that. God forbid you get two of these on top of each other. Every mutate is double edicting people. Yep, that's true. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that when the effects aren't super powerful, you're kind of incentivized to stack because you want to make the card better. Um, actually, is that the opposite? When they're not super powerful, you want to spread them out because it doesn't matter necessarily that you get the extra one, but you want less associated risk to your um, resource economy. Okay. Um, so a removal spell won't kill three of your cards, it'll kill two because you've mutated, you have two creatures here, each of them have mutated instead of two creatures, one that had like three. Um, and, but if the mutate effects are like really strong, like Pouncing Shark, for example, mm-hmm. I'm not mutating on something else if I could mutate on a Pouncing Shark. Yeah, I think it's, I, I think it's gonna be quite interesting because honestly, I think in this format, a common and uncommon, there's probably like six cards that I'm really, really happy to get that mutate effect from. Um, out, outside of that, I think that I am going to be looking for those stat lines in order to actually, uh, you know, create a better board presence. And uh, those stats are value in itself as well, right? Because the thing is that, you know, like a stat upgrade, say, obviously, like from a 1-1 or something, from a 1-1 up to, say, um, I don't know, say like a Pouncing Shore Shark, right? A four three, so you get a plus three plus two in terms of stat line. Sometimes that might be better than actually bouncing a card. So, um, and obviously, pouncing short shark is going to be one of the one of the uh, main mutate targets. But if the mutate ability is not going to be like as good as that, then I can easily see just getting stats at some point instead of mutating onto the same thing. Maybe, although if what your goal is is to get stats, why get rid of your two two? Just cast your mutate card. Yeah. Yeah, that's also true. That's so also I true. Think that, like, it may end up being that you have like a stack, and then like cards that you don't attribute to that stack due to associated risk. But again, if you have a stack going and you're not, and the game isn't ending, like I don't know how magic is working in this world, mm-hmm. right? I imagine if you have three cards on top of each other, you should be winning. Um. Like it's 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 just hard to imagine that you're like you're stacking these effects, um, mm. and you're you're choosing to do that instead of playing creatures on the board, right? Mm-hmm. So if you are doing that, it's it's just hard to imagine the game where you have like this giant stack, and the game isn't over. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, also. I could also easily see at certain points in games where I'm like, oh, I'm super happy that they actually mutated onto that because then I actually have a chance to come back into this game because I can actually use my removal spell and stabilize a little bit. Whereas whereas if they had played it out or mutated onto a smaller thing, then those threats are diversified and uh, the effect, you know, it... I think it's going to vary quite a lot, like, depending when an effect is good. And when an effect is going to be better than actually mutating onto something or even just playing out the creature. I think I think in the beginning we're going to see people uh, not play out creatures enough. I think that's something that I'm that I'm pretty confident to say. Um yeah, but uh let's move on here to this 
to these next cards. Now, these next cards are going to be the last of the um, of the mutate cards at common and uncommon. So uh, these are kind of the signpost cards for the format, and these are the multicolored uncommon uh, mutate cards. Now, uh, five color combinations are going to have their uh, mutate cards, and uh, these mutate cards for me really, really look like rare power level cards. So the first one that I'm going to point out here is a Necro Panther. Necro Panther, three mana, three three. Mutate is uh, going to be four mana. Whenever this creature mutates, return target creature with converted mana cost 3 or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. So you really get that tempo swing, you get the uh, stat boost, and you also um, obviously put this put the threat of this ability onto the board. And um, it seems really nasty to me. Like, if you get multiples of these, it seems really, really busted. Um, and even if you don't, it seems like a really frustrating card to play against. Now, uh, do any of these cards stand out to you, Ryan? Oh, they all do. The, so uh, there's something that people often forget. Uh, a hybrid card is way closer to a colorless card than it is to a multicolor card. So uh, the math shows that if you have a card of one color, it makes, it, it makes your deck you know, 40% of the time. It, it, okay. it can be played in 40% of 10-color pairs. A Multicolor card, like a two-color card, like this Lord Dracus, can be paid, played in only Izzet, but a uh, a hybrid card can be played in seven out of ten. Okay. Okay. And that's that's the same distance from monocolored to multicolored, right? Ten plus thirty is forty, plus thirty is seventy. So there's okay. this huge gap, um, which means that I'm basically all of these cards. I don't think I'm passing them for much at all. Like uh -huh. they're just they're playable because i can put in evolving wilds and be able to hard cast them if i need to but all of their mutate effects are so strong as you said necro panther like if every time you do something it's bringing something back and you have these stacks of triggers um there it, it's just they're so powerful and they're also on rate to cast yeah mm -hmm. right? which is the thing that i wouldn't expect i would have expected the bodies to be worse um but i think Maybe that's part of the balance of the hybrid, right? Like the sure you can mutate it in any deck, but the you you can't cast it then. Sure. And I think, for example, trumpeting Nar, or or for most of these, the the best case is you cast them like trumpeting Nar, and then you mutate on top of it, so you get those three threes earlier. Yeah, so trumpeting trumpeting Nar three mana three three, and then uh, mutate cost is five. Whenever you mute, whenever this creature mutates, create a three three green beast creature token. Yeah. So to reiterate on Ryan's um, point here about the hybrid mana is that the actual mutate costs are split mana. So, for example, for trumpeting Nar, the five mana you can pay either green green, blue green, or a combination of those. So um, really really potent. Even if you can't hard cast the card in your deck. If I was just playing, let's say, like a blue red deck, even without a way to, ca to hard cast the Trumpeting Gnar, I, I would still jam this card in my deck because I can cast it through the mutate alternative cost. And um, this sort of stat line that we're talking about, how it's like, uh, you know, generally when cards are this powerful, the hard cast stat, uh, cost and stat line is generally lowered. You know, like it's not supposed to be on rate. And uh, we see that. Um, for example, in Throne of Eldraine. So a lot of these cards with the adventure, 
you have this compact card with a lot of value in it. Therefore, they want to make it more expensive, right? So you, so in general, you don't really have uh, like fantastically great cards. They're just like all mediocre cards, but together, it becomes a really good card. However, in this format, um, it's it seems like such a high power level format, especially with these multicolor cards, where uh, both the both the uh, hard cast cost and the mutate cost are extremely reasonable with very very powerful upsides. Yeah, I mean, all, all of these cards are great. I uh, I think you know now that I think about it more, I actually really like their design because uh, for for most of them, like the like the the trumpeting nar is a great example. Like five mana, if you're spending five mana, you're probably not really upgrading by much, and then you oh, get yeah. a three three, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's 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 interesting to see. I mean, I guess maybe that doesn't hold for Lord Dracus. I'm just trying to think if there's more balance. Like, are you always it, looking at these cards? Are you always playing them if you can't cast the front half? Probably not. Um, like a card like Boneyard Lurker, for example, right? Boneyard Lurker is a four mana four four in uh, black green. Mutant cost is four. Whenever this creature mutates, return target permanent card from your graveyard to your hand. So, like a card like this, if I have anything else to play, I'll probably just play it out instead of this and try to wait to get the mutate cost if the game's not ending soon. But uh, like, I think the Boneyard Lurker and the Necro Panther, which uh, gets um. Which which gets the stuff back from the graveyard. I think both of these are going to be the standout ones for me. Uh, they're cards that just are pretty easy to use in limited, just because there's a lot of permanence and you have a lot of stuff that's the three that's three mana or less. Yeah. So um, I mean, yeah. I can tell you that the card that the ones I'm going to like the most, given myself, are Lord Dracus and Regal Leosaur. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Because I will, I mean, Lore, I'm, I'm going to put, it's it's crazy that, like, none of these are humans, right? So you can, which makes sense. I don't think anything with mutate would be. So you can stack it on itself. Sure. Right? So you play, a, like, you could play a Leosaur on turn three and then stack another one, uh, which it would get plus four, plus two. And then anytime you have another mutate creature, your board gets plus four, plus two. Right? Mm-hmm. The, these effects stack ridiculously. Right, mm-hmm. even uh, like a a trumpeting nar and a trumpeting nar makes two three threes. Now five mana for two three threes is a great rate. Um, so uh, yeah, I expect them all to be really high picks. I think we can really move move past that. The more that I think about it, the better the cards are. Uh huh. Yep. So mutate fantastic mechanic. I think it's actually really really cool, and it adds an extra layer of depth to the format. And it's. It's one of those things that even seasoned Magic players are going to be like, wow, all right, well, this is a cool mechanic, but how good is it? When exactly do I use it? And I think that that's a great design perspective. Uh, after 25 years, uh, Wizards is still pumping out, uh, you know, fresh stuff, fresh-feeling yep. stuff. Yep. Now, um, one of the things that is, I guess, less fresh <laughs> that uh, we've that uh, we're we're pretty familiar with in this day and age is Flash. So Flash is kind of like a sub theme in this format, and it's I don't I don't really know exactly what to think about it, but there's a lot of cards that just inherently have Flash. So cards that um, you know obviously again providing different ways to play cards. You can play them at different speeds. 
and uh, obviously changing the flow of combat, the flow of a game whenever mana is left open. So uh, what do you think about flashing this mechanic, and do you expect it to be something that um, has to be uh, respected? Uh, I certainly do. I think uh, we all learned a lot about Flash from Theros Beyond Death. Now, Theros Beyond Death, I, I was busy with a lot of stuff, and I drafted it a lot less than I normally draft uh, limited formats. But it had a Flash theme in blue-red, um, here we're seeing a flash theme in blue black, but it, it seems to blend into a couple other places, right? Um, usually flash flash does a couple things. It makes all counter spells better. So the both essence, I think essence scatter will be the second best blue common behind the stupid divination. Okay. Um, essence scatter is a classic magic card. It's a two mana instant speed counter target creature spell. It's nice that it hits mutating as well. Yep. Um, and there's also, I think, Convolute, which is a three-mana counter-target spell unless they play for, pay four. Mm -hmm. I think both these cards are going to be better than we've seen them before. Uh, and that has to do with flashes of theme. Um, you can hold up counter-magic and removal <clears throat> and creatures and all of those other things. Uh, so the I would worry about it related to combat. Wait, wait, wait a second. Hold on. The Blitzleech had Flash? Yeah, the Blitzleech. So Blitzleech is a 6-mana 5-2. Flash enters a battlefield. Um, a, a creature gets minus 2, minus 2 to end a turn, and remove all counters from that creature. So that's a common 6-mana 5-2 at Flash. It's really, really beefy. This card, is, uh, <laughs> this card is hilarious, and also it seems very, very powerful. Yeah, the art's also kind of funny. Um... The uh, yeah, and I also like the lurking dread eye, the four mana four two with flash that uh, when it enters the battlefield, it kills something that was dealt damage. Right? Uh -huh. There's it, there's just a lot of tricks in play. It's going to be a little clunky at the beginning of the format to play around it all. Um, all the instants and all the cards with flash, but I'm sure sure we'll get used to it. It, it yeah. will have a large impact on the format. One of the one of the things that I'm that I will mention about uh, flash and playing at instant speed is that it's kind of a cool dynamic alongside mutate because mutate for me really feels like a tap out strategy right where it's like you really want to get the maximum stats when you want them on curve and you just want to be playing stuff out um, and then whenever you have these sort of a flash cards in addition to that it creates this kind of weird dynamic where it's like all right well do I want to hold up my you know my flash stuff or do i actually want to just tap out and uh you know get my wingtail heron in there um and attacking and i think that that's going to add again and an, yet again an extra layer of complexity to the format where you have just so many decisions and a lot of times especially in the beginning it's gonna be probably a little bit um uh unclear whether or not like certain cards go in certain decks, whether you should be tapping out or holding mana up for um, potentially a counterplay. Yeah, and and all of that together, cycling even makes Flash better, right? Like you get to hold up whatever thing that you're going to do, and if you have cards with cycling, you can always cycle them if you don't need to. Like if, you, if you're lurking uh, Deadeye or Dreadeye or whatever it's called, right? Like if, if you don't have the opportunity to flash that in and kill a creature because your opponent didn't attack make attacks such that there was a bouncing on blocks or something, yeah. then you can just cycle. You can still 
wait for the proper moment, right? They didn't attack their, uh, you know, let's say they have like a 4-1 and they don't attack because they expect you might have this um, this crustacean, the, the four mana 1-6 flash. And then I like it. Yeah. When you cycle two things, right? And now they're like, oh, okay, they didn't have it. They have cycling, they attack next turn and you get them, right? Yep. There's mm-hmm. a lot of play to it. Um, and all of the mechanics in this set really have this weird, um, or not not weird, it's purposeful. It's very clear that uh, Wizards designed the set to have all these tensions and overlaps between mechanics, and I think that's what's really going to bring the set to the next level. And uh, um, other cards that obviously have Flash are going to be instant speed spells as well. So, uh, well, they technically don't have Flash, but they can be played uh, you know, at Flash speed, a.k.a. instant speed. Which is the speed of Flash. A- anyways. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so having all of these things together, it really is going to create these cool dynamics. And honestly, I think that with cycling in the mechan- uh, as a mechanic in the format, um, it's going to really change my decision making uh, uh, compared to how I normally play. So a lot of times when I'm playing Magic, one of the things I like to do the most is to deny mana. Right, so it's like, okay, well, the opponent just left four mana up, and they're not doing anything with their turn, um, especially if they're in blue. I'm happy to do nothing if they're doing nothing. You know, like, my doing nothing is better than their doing nothing. Now, in a format like this, where you actually have a lot of other options to, like, uh, uh, in terms of things to do, um, and punishes, actually, for not using, for not uh, using your mana... I think that that's going to be um, incentivizing me, actually, a lot more often, even though there are going to be more tricks, to actually just play into stuff, probably. I'll probably be like, all right, well, if I don't play into this thing, then they're going to do something else that's good, and I'm probably going to lose the game, right? Like, say, like, uh, you pass, try to play around a counter spell, and then they either flash in a creature, flash in capture sphere, um, flash in the shark, <laughs> bounce your thing. So it's going to be... A real nightmare playing against blue, I think. I mean, it's always a nightmare playing against blue, but blue, for me, not only has the best commons in this format, but also it seems like it's gonna be it's it's gonna play in a really, really dynamic way that uh is gonna make your life a living hell. So Yeah. Yeah. So really cool dynamics here. There's uh, you know, layers on top of layers on top of layers. Okay, so uh, <laughs> this next section is inspired by Draft Sim. So Draft Sim, everyone knows Draft Sim. Um, you can go on Draft Sim to uh, like simu- like uh, s- simulate drafts, uh, even Ikoria cards right now. Not hashtag ad, by the way. Um, but uh, yeah, so Draft Sim asks, which companions are actually worth drafting around? So obviously companions is uh, this new mechanic in the set where... You have almost like this Hearthstone-like effect where for a certain criteria for deck building, you get to choose one companion, uh, reveal it at the beginning of a game, and obviously your deck has to meet all of the requirements for that companion, and you get to cast it from uh, essentially your sideboard, I guess. Like, you get to cast it from your sideboard. Um, So these cards are going to all be rares. There are 10 different companions in this format. And um, generally, we would look at these and we would be like, okay, well, deck building restrictions, this is obviously a thing for constructed. It doesn't have any place here for limited. Do you agree with that, Ryan? Or do you think that there are implications here 
for these cards in limited. Just put them in your deck anyways. <laughs> All of the cards are good. If you don't hit the restriction, just play them. Right? Like, like here's a great example. The, the green black one. I, I don't know the name of it offhand. It's Mori, something like that. It's Mori the Collector. Mm -hmm. It's four mana, four or five. It's restriction is all cards in your deck have to have the same card type, except for I, I think you're you don't need lands or non land cards. Um, and when it enters the battlefield, you choose a card type. Spells of the chosen card type cost one less, and it's a four or five. Okay, it's a four or five base hybrid with a relevant ability that makes whatever else is in your hand less. I'm going to draft that card and I'm going to play that card. And if I just so happen to be able to draft a deck that's 23 creatures, well, then I get to start with an eight-card hand. Right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the ones that are ridiculous, right, are a Lutri, which is going to be free most of the time. Um, that card is bananas. Uh, the I expect the the green-white one. Um, oh, yeah, Lutri is three mana. It's like, these all have so much text. Yeah, that's true. It's like Yu-Gi-Oh, basically. You can't have repeating non-land names or whatever, so you only have one of whatever card. Think Which is very normal for for yeah, limited. For limited, sure. You can't play two of whatever crappy common you wanted to play. Sure, like um, or just leave like your second dead weight in the sideboard right. or something. But I'll leave my second dead weight in the sideboard for a three-two flash that can copy instants and sorceries that I cast. That sure. also. If you want to think about it, when it enters the battlefield, draw a card. Actually, something that I think is understated. Um, so think about a normal game of limited. How many cards in your deck deaths do you think you usually get to in a normal game of limited? Probably like probably probably like six uh, sixteen, seventeen cards. Right. So so like you're you're about so let's say you're sixteen cards in, right? That's twenty-four cards left. Um twenty-four out of forty is going to be, you know, between 50 and 60%, whatever number, sure. right? Mm -hmm. um, it's, uh, so, that, uh, we, we can also agree if we're speaking, like, like, academically, a card has some value, and that value that we think about it is how much it contributes to our probability to win a game. Sure. Okay. Did you know that the value of that includes the probability that you can cast it? Right? Like, yeah. Like, if you're the value of a card in terms of its ability to help you win a game, you have to be able to cast it to do that, which means sure. that every single card that you think of its value, what you're actually thinking of is 40% uh, of its value, right? Okay. Because you only see about 40% of your deck. Okay. So that means however good you think these are as your companions, they're 2.5 times as good as you think they are yeah because you start with them it's not yeah, because you the draw card eighth card aspect sure it's about they have an impact on 100 percent of games yep most and cards have an impact on 40 percent of games yeah and uh, that's you know like these are often uh, compared to to commanders and the thing is that that's like kind of the philosophy of your commander deck, right? Like you, like you build your deck around a single legendary card that you are guaranteed to cast as long as you have the mana. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I think that these cards, like they go from, oh, these cards aren't meant for limited to, oh my goodness, these are like the best limited cards ever, especially with like the hybrid mana. They're extremely high picks. Uh, I think that these cards are all just absolutely fantastic like let's look at a card like a gigantha the wellspring five mana and that's four colorless and then you have a hybrid red 
or green to cast it, and it's a and it's a five five, and uh, it taps to add um, Wooberg, right? Like all five colors, and you can only uh, use it to cast creatures. A card like this is so easy to play in the vast majority of decks that uh, it's it is it is so easy. It is such a high pick. And whether you're a two-color deck or you're a five-color deck, I think a lot of these cards just really lend themselves to a lot of different color combinations and a lot of different archetypes. Um, and, of course, the power level on these are absolutely fantastic. Like, a card like uh, Garuda, Doom of Deaths, six mana, six six. Your starting deck, so it has Companion, of course. Uh, your starting deck contains only cards with uh, even converted mana costs. So this is um, Glenn Greymane, if anyone plays Hearthstone. <laughs> and uh, enters the battlefield. Each player mills for four. And then you get to put one of those creatures that were milled onto the battlefield. Um, which, it's like, again, like these cards go in any deck. Sometimes you'll just randomly be able to hit the Companion value for it. And... Uh, you're probably gonna you know like if that happens obviously it is a very real downside but uh the upside of just being able to cast garuda when you get six mana is uh fantastic so again not only does this set have a lot of different ways to play cards but also you have a lot of different ways to deck build you have a lot of different ways to uh choose what direction what lane to go in while uh building and constructing your deck drafting your cards picking your cards from your sealed pool it Seems like such a an interesting format in terms of like actual actual not even the gameplay itself, um, the implications of how you uh, build your deck and what direction you want to take it because it seems like there are going to be a lot of directions. I'm I'm extremely excited for um, the philosophy of well, is it correct to build the deck in this way? Yeah, and I think it's going to be hard for some of them, right? Like. A lot of these are non-trivial to do that, but the important observation is that they're all good cards to just put in your deck. Sure. Right. So, so basically, forget about the companion for now. Right. You'd play all of them in any yeah. deck that can cast them, uh, and to be honest, they wouldn't be filler either. They'd be better than filler in any deck. Oh that yeah. Can cast them. Um, so, with that, with that as the case, then. You have this crazy high potential for more than that, which is a great example of something that you just want to slam early. Um, and sometimes it's going to be correct. For example, like Luris, uh, the the black-white one, its restriction is all permanents have to be converted mana cost two or less. Um, it's possible that it's just that it's a great card for your deck, like fantastic to put in your deck, but it might actually, you might make your, if you're only ones and twos in this format, <laughs> your deck might actually just be bad even with the extra card <laughs> yeah that's a little careful that's likely the case yeah for quite a for quite a few of these um yeah so this format so far has seemed almost like almost like the opposite of uh theros beyond death the format that um that that we are soon to be leaving uh mainly in the point that there seems to be so many powerful things that, that you can do, and it seems like a lot of decks can play them. There's a lot of power in terms of the commons and the uncommons. Yep. So, whereas in Theros Beyond Death, a lot of times I was like, well, my deck probably can't beat a board stall. My deck's gonna stall out, and I can't finish the game. Like, I cannot finish out the game. 
Um, I'm like, I like, please, for the love of God, give me a freak of spawn or something, you know, like I'm praying for an uncommon. Yep. Whereas in this format, you might have the opposite effect where it's like, man, I can jam so many good cards in my deck. At what point do I actually take a step back and be like, all right, well, I need to pick up this mutated egg or whatever it's called, the one mana zero to egg, you know? Uh, so I think that this format is really going to show the opposite of what Theros uh, was, where you're probably at some point you're going to have to really be disciplined in terms of the cards you pick because the power level is already so high. You just need to get to that power level. Yep. No, no disagreements there. Yeah, super cool format. Um, I cannot wait to play it, man. This uh, I I don't think I've been this excited for a format in a, in a in a long time. Um, I don't know like what your preference is in terms of formats, but I really really like formats with a lot of text, a lot of like uh, potential for tomfoolery, and uh, this seems to be it for me. I mean, I want aggro mirrors all day, so <laughs> I don't think I'm gonna get that. Um... There's a lot going on, especially like the fixing is unbelievable. When's a lot like I, I don't I can't think of a set with fixing this good. Okay. Uh, and so the and the given that the aggressive decks are built around are, are often they seem like they're going to be built around mutate um, and mutate all of them have modes of bigger creatures too. It mm. seems like this is going to lean even if the <clears throat> format is fast. All of the fast decks are going to lean to be able to go longer which is uh -huh. something that's really interesting i'm excited to see how that goes uh it's just a little bit not in line with my preferences of how i like to play magic so let's talk a little bit about fixing this format obviously this seems to be a format that lends itself very nicely to multicolored decks uh of course i think it's going to be um important uh how fast the format is could be because a slower format is going to allow you to dirtle more it's going to allow you to get more value out of like uh, being greedy, I guess, um, for lack of a better way to say it, with your deck and the way that you're building your deck. Uh, but if we assume that the that this isn't a blistering fast format, and I don't think we really have uh, much reason to believe that outside of like maybe on curve mutate or something. Mm -hmm. But um, outside of that, uh, the fixing is still going to be an important part of how we cast the cards. Even though a lot of the cards are like kind of modal cards where you can like play them uh, at like uh, for different mana costs, you can like cycle them away. Um, does any of the fixing stand out for you in this format? Uh, specifically, I guess, outside of green. I think green has like pretty good fixing in terms of. Um, like, there's a mana accelerant at 2 mana. There's a 2 mana 1-3 that adds mana of any color to cast creatures only. You have, um... Mutate guy. Yeah, you yeah you have the uh, common mutate for green. You also have the, um... What's it called? The 3 mana uncommon, the 3 mana 2-2. Two, two. What? Uh, the 3 mana 2-2 two, two in green. It's like, uh... It's What's like deer or something. Oh, Fertilid. That's an old one. Yeah, Fertilid. There part. we go. Love that. Love that little card. Yeah, so Fertilid, um, let me pull it up here. That's like a really, that, that's a really cool card. I love that card. Yeah, so Fertilid, really, really cool Magic the Gathering card. Um, there's going to be a lot that you can do with a card uh, like this. And uh, obviously green, like the fixing is good in green. Now, outside of green, is there anything that stands out to you that uh, is really good fixing? Um, I mean, uh, maybe like the crystals or something? I think Evolving Wilds will be top 10 common in this format. 
Okay, Evolving right. Wilds. Wow, a top 10 common. That's pretty, uh, that's a bold claim. The bold. So there's a lot of the rares are multicolor and or three color, uh-huh. uh, which, which puts a premium on fixing in such a way that if you're not green, you normally can't get. Uh, Evolving Wilds is a great way to get that. Uh, because of what I said related to mutate, I expect the pace of the format to be a little slower. Yes, you can have a three, four flying attacker on turn three. Um, but remember, all of the decks are going to be skewed such that they are casting five and six mana cards or are capable to it, uh, to do so. So I, okay. expect, uh, I expect the average pace of the format to be a little slower as well. Um, and I think splashing is going to be something that you actively want to do. Um, and there's a lot of really exciting cards to splash for as we've been, as we showed how good these sort of multicolor uncommons are. Right. Uh, actually, the best case for Evolving Wilds here is remember when we were talking about how we would play these for just the the mutate hybrid costs. One Evolving Wilds and one basic means that you can actually get that above rate casting cost too. Sure. Um, sure. And so all of that adds up to something where I have Evolving Wilds in my expectation for top 10 commons. I would not be upset taking it early. Yeah, so, and I think Evolving Wilds compared to some of the other type of mana fixing in the format as well is uh, going to be one of my top ways to fix mana um, as well. Because Evolving Wilds is a very low impact. It, uh, you know, it, it, it requires you to basically take one mana off on one turn. Yep. Um, and I think that that is going to be a lot more uh, powerful than, say, some of these other cards that seem... Um, that seem kind of obvious, I guess, to fix mana. So cards here like the crystals. So so these crystals, there are five different crystals for the five biomes. And um Yeah, and uh what they do is uh three mana. They're all uncommons. They tap for you know the three different mana sources, yet they also have cycling for two. So these cards are gonna be for me at this point. These cards are going to be something that I am really only incentivized to play if I have like these crazy multicolor bombs uh, to actually, um, you know, to actually be able to justify taking like a turn off to play a mana crystal. And yeah. so it would have to be ramping as well as fixing. Right. So, so yeah, mm-hmm. I, I yep. agree with that. Uh, actually, I'll read. I'll, I'll give you guys a little sneak peek into my article that'll go up on Tuesday uh, because there was, it was a walkthrough of a draft and the pack had both a crystal and an evolving wilds. And I sort of compared them. And what I, what the sort of the conclusion that I've come to is that evolving wilds will be better than a crystal in all decks, except for when this is true. When the deck contains all three colors, the crystal taps for mm-hmm. uh, or uh, the deck contains two out of the three colors and cares about cycling or that real ramp component, right? Like the, the crystal needs to be a card that you actively want to put in your deck anyways. Yeah, exactly. So um, I, so I think that these crystals are probably going to be a little bit overplayed, but again, it's, it's super hard to say that a card with cycling on it is uh, going to be like that bad, right? Like it yeah. can't really be that bad. But um, the but the other thing that I wanted to mention as well is that um, whenever I have, for example, if I have that six mana blue card, the boon of the wish giver or whatever it's called, the six mana sorcery, you draw four cards and has cycling for one. 
Like, if I have one of those in my deck, I'm actually just fine playing these, like, derpy crystals. Yeah, I'll play because, Yeah, because you can make up for that card loss, right? Yeah, so, uh, so, yeah, so how many blue ones are there? So there's three different blue ones, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you have ways to make up for that, like, card disadvantage of playing this uh, early in the game, if you need the ramp, I think it's going to be a very good card. Outside of that, it's... Uh, Gonna be a card that's probably overplayed a little bit. Um, so I took a look at your commons ratings on Twitter, and I think one of the cards that we really, really agree about, and I'm sure that many other people also agree about, is uh, going to be this card here that I actually don't remember the name of. What's the three mana one one fox called? Uh oh, Farfinder. Farfinder. All right. That card is yes. Great. So Farfinder, I think that this is going to be. Like, honestly, I have it as uh, probably the best common of the format. So yeah, you have it as rank two, and I think I have it as just number one. Yep. So Farfinder, three mana, one, one Vigilance, at common, of course. Um, uh, when Farfinder enters the battlefield, search your library for basic land, uh, put it in your hand. Mm -hmm. So uh, it it is very reminiscent of um, Skittering Surveyor from, um, from uh, Dominaria. Yep. But the thing about this card in this format is that it is a fox creature type. It does have Vigilance, and it replaces itself. So this is probably going to be the best mutate target for any deck. Oh, yeah. Um, this with a this this into the Dream Tail yeah. is, uh, is a curve every blue deck's going to want to go through. Or the five mana, uh, the five mana Skitter or whatever it's called, Cavern, Cavern, whatever, the black one with Menace that makes your opponent discard a card. Oh, yeah, it becomes a 4-4 four, four Menace, and they discard yeah. cards, yeah. 4-4 oh, oh, Menace with Vigilance. Right? There's um there's a com uh there, there's a comment that I think a lot of people miss where it's like people look at I think the uncommon gold cards too much when they're trying to define what their deck is doing. Sure. And really you want to find the set of commons that that behave as a skeleton for your deck and then you fill it in with whatever additional synergies that you can. And I think farfinder plus un plus common uh plus common mutate cards is really is really a shell that will be um really potent at the beginning of a format because at the beginning of a format this card won't be taken highly enough mm -hmm. uh people will be taking their dead weights above it they'll, they'll be taking their capture spheres their pacifisms their whatever sure. and, I, and i think that's just wrong the the two commons you could justify taking over this card are fire prophecy and blood curdle because they're just way too good instant speed interactive cards what does Fire Prophecy do again? It's a uh, two mana instant deal three damage to target creature uh, and like loot. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. So, man, this Farfinder card is really like this card really excites me because the thing is that, especially if you're playing like the sort of multicolored deck, you already want to play cards that fix. And then, depending on whatever card that you can curve into with Mutate in your hand, you can go fetch the mana of that color, right? Like, nope. say if say if you have the Dreamtail Heron and you have the Cavern uh, card in black, you can be like, okay, well, I have uh, well, I have Dreamtail Heron in my hand. I'm gonna go fetch a blue source, and then you play it on curve, and it, you know, all of the pieces just fall into place, and the stars align. I think that uh, that's going to be a very important part to uh, actually finding power in this format. Right. If you have, let's say you have four Farfinders, okay? Uh, will you splash low-impact mutate cards for the curve? Like, let's say you're like some, like, 
I, I don't think that the Dreamtail Heron or that uh, that black card are mutate cards I would want to splash, right? They're, I don't think they're high impact enough to want me to splash. Maybe they sure. will be, but I don't expect them to. Sure. Um, would you splash either of those if you have four far finders? I would probably splash those if I have two far finders. Honestly, it it's really going to depend on the on the power level of my draft, of course, because you know, uh, so for me, whenever you have a lower power level of deck, then you're okay to take like more risks because you want to just um, you know just be able to uh, do powerful stuff at some point. And if you can't do that, then you need to find a way to do that. Um, and uh, so therefore I will be splashing those, but uh, I could easily see if my deck is like so good already that kind of splashing these cards and adding a land of a different color is probably not going to be worth it. Yeah. But um, again, it leads to a lot of questions in terms of deck building. So... For example, on my stream, I offer uh, deck doctoring, right? So, like, the viewers are going to send in their decks, and I'll be like, okay, well, I like this, I don't like this, I think you should change this. And the way that we build decks in this format is going to be really, really crazy. And I think that it's going to be a lot more interesting as well when you're playing best of three magic in this format, just because uh, you can actually, like, bring in a bunch of random cards uh, that your opponent didn't see in game one and uh, be able to bring it to tie it all together because of cards like Farfinder. Yep. That reminds me. Are, do we have human drafts on Arena yet, or is this still bot drafts? Still, It's still bot drafts. Okay. It's only 2020, Ryan. Come on. I don't know. They, they said that there would be human drafts soon. I'm waiting. Yeah, so there aren't any human drafts, but, uh, but, uh, but uh, why do you ask? Because uh, uh, if, if anyone remembers our first or not our, our last podcast where I was talking about uh, Daros Beyond Death a bit and how much I was losing. You uh-huh. know, I'm, I'm very close to the end of my Magic Online stock. Oh, okay. I've been riding it since Chad was over Innistrad, but maybe it's now the time to jump to Arena. So I was inquiring. Yeah, I mean, uh, that would do wonders if you uh, start streaming more too because of, uh, you know, because of quarantine stuff. But uh, yeah, I think that's... Let's move on to the uh, very last part of our podcast for today. So the last thing that I wanted to talk about was, uh, you know, a a lot of our viewers ask us, um, for example, uh, Tutu Bears on Twitter here asks uh, DraftMonk Podcast, what is this set's biggest bomb? Is it better or worse than Dream Trawler if rare or Kiora best of Sea God if mythic? So obviously he's referring to... um, the Theros Beyond Death format that we uh, just recently experienced, and a Dream Trawler and Encore Best Sea God are kind of like those auto win cards, right? Like you cast them and you win. That's basically what they say on it. So uh, let's take a look at some of the cards that I personally think are potentially some of the best cards in this format. And I know it's kind of like a weird ragtag like uh, set of cards here. Um, so. The first two here, Luminous Broodmoth, 4 mana, 3, 4 flying. Whenever creature you control without flying dies, you get a return to the battlefield uh, with a flying counter on it. That's essentially, it feels like a Nightmare Shepherd-ish, and then you bring it back. Um, but it's not a 1-1, one, one. it's just straight comes back, and uh, it has flying for no reason, essentially. <laughs> and then uh, the second one is Snapdax. There is a cycle of... Um, mythic rare cards in all of the biomes so this one is a mardu one uh mutate for five mana 
instead of uh, the four mana for to, to hard cast a card. It's a three five. It has double strike. Whenever this creature mutates, it deals four damage to target creature or planeswalker, and opponent controls, and you gain four life. Pardon. So, uh, what are your thoughts on I guess these two cards? And do, do you expect Luminous Broodmoth and or Snapdax to be um, some of the most upsetting cards that we can see in this format i mean at least you can kill them right like the problem mm-hmm. with dream trawler and cure best of God, <laughs> they came down and you would look at your yeah. hand and it didn't matter what your hand was unless yeah, you had true. like flicker of fate and the whatever aura that you needed to have and enough mana and time to have all the things um for the most part you weren't you weren't answering those um so at least like if i have an instant speed removal spell i'm not scared about either of those Okay. Um, but if you don't, they're just like almost unbeatable cards, right? They're unbeatable cards on the battlefield, but thank God they don't have the worst mechanic ever printed, which is Hexproof. Yep, that's true. I'm actually pretty surprised that uh, <laughs> that we're still getting Hexproof and like protection and stuff in this day and age. But um, yeah, so these cards will be frustrating to play against. Uh, I think basically the the majority of these gold mythic rare cycle cards are going to be um, cards that you that you can probably pick pretty highly, right? Like with the fixing, yeah, the format. Point about the fixing, right? The fixing is so good, and like there's two commons, evolving wilds and the the farfinder. That mm-hmm. means that you can splash in your non green decks too. Yep. Your green deck is going to be able to play like four or five colors if it wants, and I believe it will be able to do so frequently. And it will be quite, and all of the other decks should be able to splash. Uh, as well as notice that the mythic cycle of three color cards, all of their mutate costs are one color and then a hybrid, Yeah, which is then hence playable in 20% of decks. So they're sure. actually more playable than a monocolored card. Yep. Uh, sorry, sorry. Then a then a two color card, less yeah. than one color, but more than a two color. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so I think that it 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 means that the risk of splashing them is lower, right? Because if I have a snap dex and I'm a white black deck, I can still always mutate it. I just can't always hardcast it. Sure, sure, sure. So, um, uh, so these next two cards are going to be cards that are a little bit uh, weird for me to put on. I guess the uh, top bombs of the format right so first one here fiend artisan it is a it's it's uh two mana it's hybrid hybrid uh black green black green yep it's a one one if fiend artisan gets plus one plus one for each creature card in your graveyard and it has an ability x one mana tap sacrifice another creature search your library for a creature card with convert a mana cost x or less put on put onto the battlefield and yeah and then go and go on about your day I think that this that I I think that this that this card uh is gonna be one of those cards that if you can't kill it, it's probably just going to uh win you the game. Just because you can search for your best stuff and it comes onto the battlefield. Uh this is a card that I have rated very highly and and it also has, I guess, uh, constructed implications for probably multiple formats. Um any thoughts on Fiend Artisan? So look, my hands are too small for sixty cards, so I'm not gonna comment on it on constructed. It seems a little clunky. <laughs> Uh, for constructive, but it's a great cube card. That's that's my comment. It's going right. Okay. The cube. Um, the I'm. I think it's going to be a good card. You're right that it can like get your best creatures. Um, and it's going to be difficult to see how much graveyard interaction is in the format, right? Like we know that green black cares about the graveyard, but like, is this on average a two two, a three three? If it's on average a three three, then it's just going to be a phenomenal card, right? Because 
it, it also feeds <laughs> itself, right? It makes it bigger. Um, I expect it to be better than every common and uncommon, um, but I don't expect it to be some unbeatable bomb. Okay. Now, this next card, it's actually not a mythic. It's not even a rare. It is actually an uncommon. So this next card has my vote for the mythic uncommon of the format, um, and that's going to be Parcel Beast. It's four mana. Uh, so that's two green and a blue. It's a 2-4. has mutate for one green, one blue. It, it has an ability, uh, one mana tap. Look at the top card of your library. If it's a land card, you may put it onto the battlefield. If you don't, put the card onto the battlefield, put it into your hand. And so that's an activated ability. That's not, that's not a mutate ability. So you can use that every single turn. And I'm already thinking about games where opponent goes first, Turn one mysterious egg, turn two parcel beast, a GG. You know, like you're attacking with a three five on turn two, and then and then uh, the, the moment a parcel beast can no longer attack, you can um, start basically just drawing cards, ramping out lands. I think that this card seems absolutely bonkers to me, um, and I'm actually not sure how this is uh, an an uncommon. Any thoughts on that, Ryan? I mean, it's a little clunky, right? Like. If you're spending four mana for a effectively a you know uh, coercive portal like a draw card every turn enchantment mm-hmm. that can be killed by creature removal, but that doesn't seem particularly unfair. It will completely run away with the game um, with uh, with creature removal. One thing I would have liked to see on this card is only activated as a sorcery. Yeah. Okay. So that you couldn't at least have like a two four blocker to go alongside your card advantage engine yeah um and it is i i wonder like let's say if you play an egg on turn one are you just jamming the three five right you just like jam attack with a three five and then the next turn start drawing cards i'm so i'm probably it it is going to be hand dependent but i can easily see just like curving out normally um if i have stuff to do and just attacking with a three five until it can't attack anymore which uh, is probably going to be a while, you know what I mean? I mean, they could kill it, but then again, it's hard to kill a 3-5 on turn 2. Yeah, it it really is. So outside of black, um, you don't really have like that much of the unconditional removal cards. You have like Pacifism, you have uh, Capture Sphere, but like the thing is Capture, Fear, Capture Sphere is going to be a good removal spell, but it's still pretty expensive, I think. Like 4 mana for removal spells is still expensive. Yeah, and it doesn't stop mutate chaining. You can still like you can still mutate onto a tapped creature. Yep, exactly. Act. So, uh, yeah. I mean, like, I personally would have liked to see the removal be a little bit better in this format, actually. I think it's pretty decent. It's not like Ravnica Allegiance level removal, you know what I mean? Like, Ravnica Allegiance removal was like the uh probably the best removal i've seen in limited um you know i think i mean i think the removal spells are better than the ravnica allegiance removal spells it's just the like the memories that we have ravnica allegiance removal spells or the decks were filled with card draw so you felt like you always had one that was good right Mm -hmm. yeah that's true but if you look at it i mean fire prophecy and blood curdle are better than every single common removal spell we've seen in the last like when was the last time you've seen a common removal spell better than either of those cards? I can't remember. Like, no, like yeah. I think both of those cards are better than Obnixilis' Cruelty. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. And so there's there's that. The 
you know, blue has capture sphere and like a repulse variant. It costs like less if you have a flyer. It's like four mana sorcery, bounce a creature, draw a card kind of thing, which is often mm-hmm. fine for blue. Essence scatter is one of the best counters. Essence scatter and convolute are two great counter spells for limited. Usually mm-hmm. you don't get counter spells that good. I actually think that the interaction is quite good. Even the green fight spell, I think, is the best green fight spell we've seen for a while. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. The green fight spell is essentially a two-mana instant speed, for whatever reason. Instant speed. Um, and, and it's not even a fight. It's actually just like it's, a punch. Oh, it's, it's rabid bite. It's rabid bite at instant speed with trample. Yeah, but trample. So, it's... Like, the removal is good, and of course, um, there is a disproportionate amount of uh, good removal, I guess, in black. Just like, uh, like that's what black does, you know? Yes. Black has the best, cheapest, unconditional removal. Uh, but outside of that, yeah, there do seem to be, like, pretty good removal spells. Um, the only thing I'm worried about is that with mutate, and if you're mutating on curve, a lot of times I feel, or what I expect is that you are going to need those removal spells, especially on the draw, immediately. And uh, I just wonder how likely that is going to line up. Like, if games stall out and then and and you have time to like set up a removal spell, then that's fine. But uh, if games are like, well, mutate my dream heron, get in there. Oh, no removal spell, GG. Um, then that's going to be a little bit uh, more depressing for me. But uh... yeah, I'm not. I'm not entirely sure. I think that there's enough flash in the set too. That means like you might not have a removal spell, but you have something else to do at instant speed, which means that your opponent won't always go for that Dream Heron. Sure. Right? Because you have whatever, you have your stupid 1-6 that you're going to flash in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, leaving man up is going to be pretty uh, powerful, I guess, in this format as well. Yeah, bluffing um, might play a really, really large component because there's so much to do at instant <laughs> speed that you probably can still, like, like if you... I don't know if there's like a, a duress style card, but let's say you know your opponent's hand, you know that they could mutate and it would be really bad for you. And it's turn four and your best play is like a three mana creature, three, four mana creature, but you could also just like pass and cycle. Uh-huh. Um, but you need them to to not mutate so that you can play your five drops so that you're ahead on board so the mutate doesn't affect it. So you have to bluff something. Like I can see there being a lot of play thanks yeah. to how large flash large of a component flash <clears throat> seems to have uh, along with cycling there's just so much to do at instant speed um and that that really helps attack mutate uh as well and maybe keep it uh a bit on the back burner from what you're sure uh one last thing that uh that i want to mention about uh discussing kind of the top bombs is that yes there are planeswalkers in the set but the thing is that I I don't know if this is true for you, but I have a disproportionate, like, noxious levels of uh, disrespect for Planeswalkers. Um, outside of the War of the Spark, like, I actually like Uncommon Planeswalkers. But, uh, yeah, like, the Planeswalkers are busted. Uh, we don't want to get into a discussion of, like, why Planeswalkers are broken and go down that rabbit hole. But, yeah, like, the Planeswalkers in the set, um, especially Vivian, uh, is just fantastic. And that card just shouldn't really exist in Limited. <laughs> you know, but I don't really want. I I don't really want to get down uh, deep into yeah, that rabbit hole. Whatever, right? Look, there's a lot of busted cards. There's a lot of rares and mythics in this set, such that you take it over every common and uncommon. That's how it's gonna be. Uh, hopefully, there's enough that everybody always has one, and that's okay. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, but it's it, it, the, I, I am a little bit worried about the density of powerful cards. My hope is that there's a lot of powerful commons and uncommons that like 
and that you can that you can beat them. There is uh, I kept getting confused. There's like a card from the new commander set that I was terrified was going to be in the limited format that gives like text <laughs> proof forever. <clears throat> okay, but yeah, I mean the the cards in the set seem good. It seems fun. I'm really excited to dig into it. What Thursday this week? I don't remember when it goes. Mm-hmm. Thursday, uh, April sixteenth. Awesome. Seems like it'll be available to everybody at Magic Arena, and that's going to be the main way to play since uh, you know quarantine stuff. So um, yeah. So some so some final thoughts on the formats. Uh, I will go ahead and start myself. Sure. Is that. I think that this format seems really, really cool. What I like about it is that it seems almost reminiscent of a War of the Spark to me, where it's like people are going to call it a bomby format. And, you know, it very well may be like this insanely bomby format where like people play stuff and and, uh, and you're just going to lose. But in addition to that, it seems like a lot of the commons and also the uncommons are actually kind of on the power level of a lot of these rares and mythics. So a lot of these decks... I could see certainly uh, with just commons and uncommons, you can have like very, very powerful limited decks that uh, can actually keep up with some of these other decks that have these uh, insane power levels in terms of bombs. Um, That is, once again, it's going to be quite different from, I guess, like Theros Beyond Death, where it's like the power level is so flat that a lot of times you're like, oh my goodness, my card quality is like pretty decent, but overall it's going to fold to essentially a single card because, um, you know, I can't spike the power in the uh, commons and uncommons as uh, well as I can in some other formats. So I expect that we're going to have a lot of very powerful decks that are common and uncommon, and there's a lot of uh, good stuff that you can do even if you don't open up um, Luminous Broodmoth or Snap decks. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm on a very similar page. Um, I think that it, while there are a lot of bombs, uh, the power level at common and uncommon is such that I think that it can compete. Um, I think a lot of that also has to do with the fact that there's a lot of ways to gain an early advantage to push ahead uh, and beat bombs. One of the best ways to beat them is to go under them. Yep. Um, uh, my first, my, the first note that I have is I expect the format to be on the slower side. Um, and I think that's going to play some tension with mutate where mutate is the way that you press an early advantage, but games are not going to end by turn five, like they do in faster formats. You can press an early advantage, but the decks that press early advantages like that, all decks, regardless of whether they're aggro or control or whatever, will be able to do that thanks to mutate. Um, And all decks will also be able to sort of cast the more late game spells. And I think that's something that we haven't seen before that might provide a wonderful balance and marriage of mechanics and archetypes that could lead to an all-time great format, but we'll see. Yeah, we will certainly see for sure. Um, this format is, yeah, it's like it's like everything I like. It seems like there's going to be a lot there for every type of player, um, whether you're Timmy, whether you're Spike. Uh, it's, it seems very interesting and I like the kind of direction that, 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 uh, Watsi went with, you know, um, having a collaboration with, uh, with like, with like, got with the Godzilla franchise for the, these, uh, alternate art cards. I think that, uh, this set is going to be one that hopefully is quite popular. Um, I'm quite excited about, uh, what the format will bring and I expect to be playing this format quite a lot, so... 
All right. Any final words here, Ryan, for uh, for Ikoria Limited and um, and your aspirations? Your aspirations for uh, for I guess like this format. No, I mean mostly my aspirations for this format is a lot more about uh, I'm going to get back to working on that draft bot. So so my aspirations are a lot closer to making that draft bot work for this format. <laughs> That is for, for anything else about this format. Uh, and it is going to be a, a good test for that draft bot, right? Because so with funny. the with the mutate cards, like like uh, with the mutate casting cost cards, that's going to add a very interesting dynamic to your bot as well, right? Yeah, it's, it's going to be weird. Uh, there's a lot of text on the cards. One of the things that I plan on doing for the draft AI here for this format is I'm actually going to be building it uh, a little bit more sophisticated than it was before. It's okay. going to be hard, harder to explain the rationale between the picks that it makes, uh, but it's actually going to read the cards. Uh, where before it just sort of saw cards as entities. Okay, this is, uh, what what was it? It was, it was Throne of Eldraine. So it was like, this is uh, Ginger Brute, but it didn't understand that Ginger Brute was an artifact or that it sacked for gaining life or something it understood that it paired with cards that cared about artifacts energies or aggressive cards um but so pushing it a little bit more uh is my current plan so is it going to be able to understand a card like unpredictable cyclone so for those of you who don't know what unpredictable cyclone is it's essentially possibility storm which i'm sure nobody knows what that is either but uh like whenever you cycle a card and uh you get to get a you basically get a cascade into a card of a of like the same type as a card that you cycled. So uh, will your bot be able to understand a card like that, or are you just going to give it a random rating? I mean, it, it will be able to learn when to pick it. It's not okay. going to be able to learn like what happens <laughs> on the battlefield. Uh, but that's because I don't have gameplay data. I only have draft data. Okay, well, thank you guys for listening. Uh, we are going to be working on our next episode, so uh, keep an eye out for that. Follow us down below here. Um, our Twitter handle's there, at DraftPunkMagic. And feel free to ask us any questions, and uh, those questions may be featured on the next episode. Yeah. So uh, until next time, guys, stay All cool. Right. See you, everybody.